My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to another episode of Transmissions. It's great to have you here with us. Our guest this week on the show is Cecile Schott. She records under the name Colleen and has done so since the early 2000s. First record uh, that she put out was called Everyone Alive Wants Answers. My friend Mike Adams hit me to this record and it's tremendous. And since then she's put out all sorts of interesting music using various tools and various sort of modes. Her latest is called The Tunnel and the Clearing, and it's all built on vintage synthesizers and drum machines. And uh, we had a great conversation about how this album came together and the really personal narrative behind it. And uh, I'm really uh, honored that uh, she felt uh, so comfortable here on the show, and it's really tremendous uh, to have her on. Uh, Before we get to that, I'll take a moment to remind you that one of the best ways that you can support Transmissions is by simply spreading the word about it. Leave a rating or a review, subscribe wherever you listen. All of those things help help us out in a major way. Uh, If you want to take your support a step further uh, from, you know, just tweeting or or posting it wherever, uh, we encourage you to do that. But if you want to take it a step further... You can check us out over on Patreon. We've uh, heard lots of great uh, great feedback about last week's show with Jim Jarmish. If you missed that, uh, feel free to check it out after you spin this one. Uh, or, uh, or you can check elsewhere in the archives. There's a lot for you to hear. Uh, anyway, here's my conversation with Colleen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Aquarium Drunker Transmissions. I'll speak with you on the other side. All right. Thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Uh, a, a pleasure. My pleasure. Um, and in interviews, I mean, do you prefer uh, that I call you Cecile or do you like Colleen or what, what do you? Yes. No, no, no. Cecile. Cecile. <laughs> Cecile. Okay. Well, thanks yes. so much for taking the time to join us here on Transmissions. It's a real honor to have you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much. There's a really interesting section of your website where you showcase the studio setup in Barcelona where you recorded the tunnel and the, the clearing, as well as some of your, mm-hmm. your past studios. Uh, is, that, is that where you are now? Or are you in your, your studio? Yeah, yes, I'm exactly. I'm in the studio, yeah. How, uh, how, has it changed since you finished this record? Have you been moving things around or working with new gear? I or? haven't. 
No, not really. Uh, I'm just looking around and actually I've removed some gear because I'm uh, rehearsing for some shows that I have next week in a, in a small gallery here in Barcelona. We're going to do a kind of a celebration of the album release and so I decided to get rid of the pedals that I'm not using just so that it makes everything clearer and there are fewer cables to get annoyed about. Yeah. So it's actually, um, there's, there's fewer stuff right now. There's less um, less gear. <laughs> yeah, I was. I've been thinking about. It seems to me th that that's that your studio space, that the place where you choose to create, it seems awfully important to your process. Is that a fair way to put it? That the space itself is sort of integral to the the space and the tools that you use to create each album. Do those feel pretty integral to your your vision for what each one of these LPs is? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I really I'm at the stage where I really can't separate the uh production process from from the actual music. I think um my first albums were also that way, but then at one point I guess I became more of an instrumentalist/composer slash or maybe that's more how I saw myself, but then I shifted again to um I think really thinking in terms of production. I think with my my fifth album, Captain of None, and um, definitely each album, um, even though it never starts as, um, how can I say that? Um, it's not that I intentionally set out to change uh, my instruments or my gear for each album, but it just always, always ends up <laughs> happening somehow, uh, very naturally. And uh, for this album, it's the first that I'm recording again uh, in a home studio setting because uh, my fourth, fifth and sixth album were recorded in, um, in a separate studio space. So it wasn't a real studio, but it was a place I rented and I kind of transformed it into a, a studio of some sort. And so now I'm back working at home again and I'm actually loving it uh, for, for various reasons, but it's, it's really working for me and I actually really like that feeling of um, working from home. You you started working on the album in 2018, is that right? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, what I thought would be the album, but then in the end, uh, so many things happened uh, in the meantime that actually the album as it is released right now, I only record it, the recording started on the 9th of May 2020, it ended on the 1st of December and everything that I had done before was scrapped. Wh why so did you could say somehow, yeah. Wh yeah, why did why did you end up scrapping this stuff? Was it just it didn't feel right or it didn't it didn't uh, achieve what you hoped? What were some of the thoughts on on why you you got rid of that stuff? Mm. Well, basically uh what happened was um in 2018 I had an idea for an album that would be very rhythmic. So I had bought the Elke Drummer One drum machine uh that summer. I was like really excited about it. Uh the Space Echo, I bought it later on. It had been years <laughs> in my head. Um yeah. and my my thinking was doing a very joyful rhythmic based album which would have been a, a first for me but uh it turns out that uh, i was um i was ill um i with a chronic chronic health problem that really really drained my energy i was basically exhausted for two years which means that literally i i couldn't even work for like 
two or three hours a day, which means in that case that you're just not making progress on your album. So I had these little snippets of music, but I somehow it somehow was never materializing into uh, something uh, more accomplished. And then uh, finally I, I got better treatment and in March of 2020 I, I really started to feel uh, like a normal human being again and I, I started to uh, have normal energy levels. But, but then um, uh, I, I went through this um, breakup of my long-term relationship. Uh, it was something that I was, wasn't expecting and uh, that basically... I went back to making music um, immediately, but I could feel straight away uh, that the album was going to be something completely different to what I had in mind. Yeah. Uh, because the plan, even though, I mean, in the end, I do have um, uh, rhythm. I do use the uh, the Elka Drama one, but uh, it became more of a... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think it really sounds cliche to say that it was therapeutic and that it was a a journey in self recovery or something, but it, it actually it actually was. And the more I was making new music, the more I felt that the the music, the embryos for songs that I had previously, just did not fit. You know, they were they became irrelevant basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well. It is a very rhythmic album. It's beautiful, by the way. It's such a I I the second I heard it, I was I was Thank you. very very excited <laughs> to have to ask if you could be on our podcast because it's just oh, it's thanks. it's gorgeous and it's so warm and it is so rhythmic, but it's hypnotic and and there's a sadness to it clearly, you know, but it's also very beautiful and it feels like it's about recreating in a, in a in a way you know when i think of uh there are very interesting reflections about duality on the album I'm, i guess i'm thinking of implosion explosion and how when you're uh, going about about what sorry about implosion explosion the the song mm. where there's sort of a, a a dual thing happening where you're singing about imploding and exploding and i think about how very mm. often um emotions can come that way where where it, it feels like two things at once almost yeah. um and mm. and I, and i just i just wonder so you this your studio is there in in barcelona and you'd only been in barcelona yes. uh since the end of 2019 right uh F february 2019 yes so i had been in I've been here with my ex-partner ah. uh, for about a year. Then the uh, then the pandemic happened, and um, yes, and then I started to record the album just as the the pandemic. I mean, the uh, lockdown was starting to uh, to be relaxed here because that we we were in like severe lockdown. Like you couldn't go out at all except to go for grocery shopping. You weren't even allowed to walk or anything. Mm. Uh, but the album, I started recording it just at the end of that. Wow, so not only were you processing a breakup and not only were you just starting to feel better, but then you had the lockdown at the same time. So I have to imagine, what was your, well, I shouldn't say I have to imagine, I should just ask you since you're kind enough to be here. What was, mm. what, what was your mood like while you were making this? <laughs> My mood, um, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't want to sound over dramatic. Um, 
but I mean, the the beginning was just uh, how can I say that? I I don't even know how to express it. Uh, the beginning is just uh, landing on your feet uh, brutally. Um, I had been with my partner for 16 years, just to make, <laughs> just to explain that this isn't like a small, small breakup. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was really, um, it was, it's um, more like a divorce, you could say. Of course. And um, and also, I knew a grand total of four people in Barcelona because I hadn't really had the time or the energy to build a network of any sort. And of course, because it was the end of the lockdown, it wasn't really like you could meet up with people easily. Um, you know, I, I'm guessing the same has been happening everywhere where I think some people have been kind of reluctant somehow to to meet with people that they know or that they have yet to know because it, it's it been such a weird um, new way of interacting. So yeah. uh, things did uh, accumulate in that way. Um, but I was very lucky to be in Barcelona because I already knew I love the city. And in a way, my second therapy, uh, in addition to making the album, was just going for really long walks and making a point of um, discovering new areas of the city and Barcelona beyond the uh, you know touristy cliche that it is, um, really offers so much to someone who's ready to open their eyes. Uh, so I had that in my favor. And uh, in terms of mood, um, one thing that struck me was that I was unable to listen to music for three months. I tried it a couple of times, but it just felt um, massively wrong somehow. Like, um, I, I just couldn't do it. Uh, and actually, I started to listen to music again as I was practicing my yoga. Uh, I started to listen to uh, Indian classical music, which I had, you know, uh, borrowed from well, partly borrowed from music libraries, but also I used to go to Indian music concerts when I lived in Paris because there was a really good um, programmation uh, of, of concerts at the uh, the main Asian arts museum in Paris called Musée Guimet. And that was my way back into music. And actually it was interesting because Indian music somehow, um, I felt it had some connections to the electronic stuff that I was doing. Mm. It's kind of hard to explain, but uh, um, the length of it sometimes, uh, I don't know. I, I felt uh, it was the perfect way to to go back to, to, to listening to music again. And, uh, and by then, thankfully, August, I work really started to pick up on the album. I, I really got uh, going into a, a nice routine. And after that, it was um, much more uplifting. It was also sometimes very moving uh, because I felt uh, the music I was uh, making and the lyrics, even though there are very few lyrics on the album, sometimes I felt it articulated so much <laughs> what I was going through that I was almost uh, shocked by it. Yeah. But um, but at least it gave me the sense that I was making the best of, of what was a, a bad situation. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, as I already mentioned, it's a it's a wonderful album. So, I mean, it sounds like it was a a little bit of a painful thing, or it took some pain to get through to it being what it is. But I'm I'm very glad that you that you did make this because it's so incredible. You mentioned going for long walks and and things like that. There are a couple lyrical or title references to to Taurus, the the constellation. Um, were some of these walks at night? Were you were you looking at the, at the stars? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no. So uh, we we've had a curfew for a long time. Actually, now I can't remember 
if the curfew was enforced uh, during the summer, but I, I guess so. Uh, and anyway, I wouldn't really want to go alone at night in Barcelona. Uh, so no, definitely it was yeah. um, it was more like early morning walks because the summer is really hot in Barcelona as well. So you know, trying to get to get up early and and <laughs> go for a walk at that, sure. at that moment. Uh, and the uh, tourist reference is. Um, Indeed, more like uh, you know, uh, stargazing uh, at night when the uh, when there isn't too much uh, light pollution. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious. So, you have already referenced the Elka drummer one, and and also on this record, you've got the Roland Space Echo and a Yamaha organ and mm -hmm. and some Moog uh, tools as well. You've you've made music. It seems to me like there's a very specific tool set that you'll use on on an album, um, either music boxes or or the viola. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Is it viola de gamba? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure how to answer I'm, that because I guess you know the 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 way English people pronounce it is just the way it's pronounced in in English. Uh, in, in Italian, it would be viola da gamba. Uh, in f yeah, okay. I'm not really sure how to. S yeah, and in Spanish, viola da gamba. Yeah, there's not. I, I think there's no special trick to pronouncing it. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't butcher no. it too bad. But this sort of predecessor mm. to the to yeah. the cello. Um, and so it feels like each album sort of centers on a few distinct tools. Um, similar to the way that spaces are very important for you. Um, it seems to me that the tools that you use to build a record uh, tend to be very important and that you almost restrict your tool set to just a few elements. And I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what it is about that sort of level of restriction mm -hmm. that uh, produces or induces a, a kind of creativity for you. Is there something about saying... I'm going to make something using these few elements and and just really focus on creating something in interesting out of say a sort of restricted palette of of sounds. Uh yeah, so you're you're totally right. Uh I've been operating this way mostly since Captain of None. I I really think that album um was something special to me because I I used so few tools on that album. It was just a treble viola da gamba an octave pe pedal to generate bass lines with the same viola, and then a couple of uh, delay pedals, um, and a little bit of percussion, melodica on just one track, so I think that's it. But uh, to me, I don't know, on that album I had so much fun uh, that I think it set a precedent uh, for, the, uh, for the rest. And in terms of uh, the actual uh, rationale behind it, I would say that Basically, my, my feeling is that we are overwhelmed with just too much stuff in all areas of our life. Uh, personally, I, I really suffer from this. And uh, I would say that for the past 12 years, I've really been on this, um, on this journey of making everything in my life more minimal. So when I say everything, it's like literally... Uh, for, so for instance, I make my clothes and um, the way I make my clothes is that... the um, the aim is to have few clothes, but ones that really fit me and that I really love and to not have a closet full of, you know, full of stuff that's not even good quality. And, and I'm mentioning this because um, 
uh, basically, I, I get overwhelmed. I, I don't like uh, just too many possibilities. Um, I just it just bring brings in anxiety to me, and I feel the same way about gear. So I actually I love using uh, new instruments, uh, but only up to a certain point. I it would make me stressed out if um, all of a sudden I you know if someone gave me. Uh, I mean, because I was gifted some instruments uh, in the past couple of years, so which was very new to me, and I'm very grateful for it. But I haven't even had the chance to explore all of them. And I think in terms of electronic uh, electronic instruments, uh, I think the whole point is to explore those instruments in depth. And actually, that takes a lot of time, a lot of dedication, a lot of knowledge. And basically, I feel I've barely touched the surface. For instance, with the the setup that I used on the last album, I actually think I can use it uh, on at least one or two other albums this time because I'm yeah. So um, yeah, because you yes, yeah. There are still there are still a lot of possibilities oh. that you think you haven't explored yet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah completely. So it's basically a way of uh, removing. Uh, this kind of uh, overflow of possibilities, which uh, humanly you're never going to get to the bottom of it, and just saying, here are a few tools, and what can I do with them? And then the other thing to remember as well, especially in, on this album, uh, because my main sound source is actually the the organ, I really made a point of uh, uh, expanding my knowledge of uh, harmony and and to make music that was more complex and in different keys. And I made that very intentional for the first time of my life. And again, I think there I've, I've barely touched the surface of what I could do. And I think it was a nice combination, the um, intent, intending to uh, trying to expand uh, the actual uh, note choice and chord choice and to combine that with a restricted number of parameters. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. I, you know, you create by yourself, and I wonder if this is too strange of a of a thing to ask, but I'll ask it anyway. Do you almost feel like your gear is sort of like a collaborator in a strange way? Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny that you that you're saying this because distinctly on this album, I feel, for instance, that the Elka drummer one is a kind of a drummer that works with me or a bandmate. Um, and yeah. and definitely uh, during the making of the album, I really developed a strong affection, for instance, for the space echo. And I mean, the, I'm learning now that the space echo is a really tricky beast because um, it's actually more fragile than I. I mean, it's been working. It worked like a charm for like more than a year, but recently I had to change the tape, and it's developed some some problems. Uh, but still, I it's just so alive, you know, like hearing the. Um, the noise, the hiss from the tape, and the fact that the tape um, starts to deteriorate a little bit uh, the more you work with it. And actually, I kept the same tape throughout the recording of the album because I thought this is a symbol of, uh, you know, how we also get worn down by by life. And I, I felt I felt the tape was was actually a perfect reflection of that. So definitely, I have a lot of affection for the the instruments I use. And also, even though I'm not a gear fetishist, I have to say that analog gear is a completely different thing to uh, the sort of pedals that I was using before. And I think it's it's very special. That and a really well-made uh, acoustic instrument, like the way my violas were made, 
I think they they do become partners in creation. Yes. Yeah, I love that idea um, because it's it seems well. Uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what the early what is the early process look like when you, when you're making an album. Is it that you're playing things and you're listening for specific sounds that evoke an emotional resonance for you? Yeah, so usually there are, um, it's like a two-pronged approach. So on the one hand, I'm, well, usually I'm training to uh, to learn the instrument better. So for instance, I had played the piano a little bit, but I've never taken any lessons and I'm not at all an organ player. So um I had to develop all that. So, for instance, with the organ, I watched some tutor tutorials. I also um, uh, dug out my uh, um, um, oh, sorry, uh, music theory book. Sorry, I had this mu music theory book that I bought years ago, and it tells you how to complexify your chords and it teaches you about inversions and things like that. So, I was basically simultaneously practicing. Um, uh, the organ and uh, practicing, uh, you know, like different ways of building chords and things like that, and also uh, going through the um, the gear. So go going through the uh, grandmother synth and seeing what I could, uh, you know, what what that sounded like. I learned how to um, to find the best settings for the space echo um, and things like that. So um, it's everything's going on at the same time, uh, always through playing. And now I'm. I always have everything set up to record, so that any any ID that sounds potentially uh, worth keeping, I have that. Um, I have that on my computer, and I also have these uh, sheets where uh, that represent the um, the instruments. Uh, and I write everything down as I go, because otherwise you just uh, there's no way you could recreate some. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's just too complex, so uh, it's a it's a bit messy, but um, it it works. You mentioned that you were preparing for some performances. Mm. How often do you finish a project and and then say, "Oh, oh my God, how am I going to bring this into you know uh, <laughs> into a physical space, into a performative yeah. space?" Is 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 there is there some? It, it can be difficult, I'm sure, sometimes, especially when you're allowing for the kind of spontaneity and the sort of uh, unexpected quality that you, it sounds like you're looking for mm. in the studio setting. Yeah, so here I guess I should mention that uh, even though improvisation uh, plays a part when I'm making things, what I do is that I, if I like it, I immediately try to write down what, I've, what I did so that that improvisation can turn into something that I can recreate. Uh, especially because usually, um, you know, your first ID, sometimes it's uh, it's great, but there's al there's almost always a way you can refine it and take it to the to the next level. So actually, sure. it's it becomes a weird way of uh, mm, I don't know how to say that, but uh, almost like composing with your improvisation uh, reined in, like a controlled kind of improvisation. Um, so it's funny that you're uh, mentioning, uh, you know, if I ask myself those questions of uh, recreating things. Uh, in the case of this album, actually, it was literally recorded live. I mean, there's a couple of um, of takes that I had to uh, paste together, 
But basically, everything's going, um, everything's been recorded at the same time, except vocals, which were recorded later on. So in a way, that album does not present a challenge in the sense of um, this being impossible to replicate. But I won't lie, it is hard because it's a lot of data and it's a lot of different changes because uh, to overcome the limitation in gear, I do use uh, different settings for almost every song, which which is how hopefully the songs, while sounding um, united and coherent together in the album, uh, hopefully they do sound different from each other. And uh, it's even funnier that you're asking this right now because actually so I haven't even communicated this yet to any well to the world but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do so actually this week I've actually decided to retire from live playing which is a huge decision for me and it's been a hard decision to make but um, it's actually uh, I mean for a bunch of reasons and it's maybe even too complex to get into on this podcast but uh I have a bunch of reasons for um deciding to um to give uh to go on a long break from life playing. Um and what one of them yeah. one of them is is the complexity of um of making my music live. I think it's just uh, I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as saying it's taking a mental toll on me because that's not that's not the way it is, but it is a lot of data. And because life is already complex in, you know, like you have administration going on and promotion and then you have every day to life that requires uh, your attention. Um, it's that's one of the things that been really draining my energy uh, to the point where I think if I want to keep making music on albums, which is my priority, then basically something has to go so that I can retain my uh, my mental and my physical energy. So in an ideal world, I would be, you know, full of of the energy that's and the uh, calm that's required to go on tour. But the truth is, I don't, and so I've decided that this has this has to be sacrificed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that you mentioned that it wasn't an, an easy choice to make because no. I I assume you you very much enjoy playing live. It's I do. just not. Yeah, I do. Yeah, definitely. You. You've taken breaks from making music before as well, right? Yeah. Like kind of kind of like some some periods where you just have decided you're going to give yourself a little bit of time. Do you find that making that decision uh frees something up for you that when you eventually do return to something, it you know, you you see it in a different way? Is that the way it usually sort of has worked for you? Well, um, yes. So uh, the uh, the time that I stopped making music and albums uh, for a long time was uh, started in 2009. Um, the, the real break from making music only lasted for maybe about a year. Uh, and then I went back to making music, but it took some time to, um, to actually make an album. So there was a, a six-year gap between, or seven even, uh, 2007 to 2013. Uh, between my third and fourth album, uh, it did enable me to uh, to come back, and I think what I'm feeling now is is different uh, in a in a very good way. In the sense that um, in 2009 I was feeling uh, an exhaustion, but uh, also I had arrived at a kind of um, the end of a 
of an artistic trajectory with the um, Les Ondes Silencieuses, which was the album that I made that was like very Baroque influenced and very minimal. And because it had been my dream to play that instrument, I think that when I finished it, I was very much uh, thinking, what next? And the other um, thing was I was uh, on very bad terms with the, the label that released my, my first albums. I was very, very stressed out and disappointed by that. And so uh, the good thing about my, my current decision is that uh, it's just retiring from live playing uh, because I have actually, I have tons of ideas for uh, new music. Um, so actually in a way, a positive way of, of uh, looking at that decision is that um, I'm doing this to further concentrate on you know, on, on putting my resources into making new music and making albums, which I think ultimately is uh, what is hopefully going to stay. And then the other massive yeah. difference is that I'm on very good working terms with Thrill Jockey. They really support me. Uh, the team there is really, really amazing to work with. Um, so sometimes, I mean, there are, you know, issues that come up because releasing an album is actually a very complex thing. And for instance, with COVID, I mean, uh, you know, like pressing plants have been running even later than usual. I mean, so there are tons of things that can come up. Uh, but basically, I feel right. supported, which also is a, is a, yeah, it is a massive difference. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's reducing my workload to, to enjoy my life more and to, to keep making music, actually. You... One of the other things I, I really like about, well, I want to just compliment your website. I love oh. that you have so much information on your website. As like <laughs> Thank a, a you. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. I love reading people's lists of things, not only tools that they use to make stuff or see their studio or anything, but you've got like long lists of your favorite music from certain eras and yeah. and all this incredible <laughs> uh, incredible stuff and and a, a beautiful repository of mixtapes that you've made mm -hmm. um and, and and i have you do, do you ever dj live is I, that something that you i don't actually i've dj'd a couple of times but very rarely uh so uh it's not something i do and i, I don't think it's something i will uh i will ever get into but i i do love making mixes and i actually have two that i need to make now <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorites that you've done is that that mix you made for Fact around the time that you released Captain of None. Yes. Where you were really exploring those dub influences yes. that you that you that you evoke on that album and the mix features, you know, Prince Farai and Noel Ellis and Scientists and uh -huh. and in the end you you talked about hearing Return of the Super Ape as a kid. Yeah. Um what your your parents had a tape of that? Was that, yes, was that one yes. of the, the the earlier things that you um do you still listen to a lot of dub first and foremost? Well, I, I don't actually. I have to say that uh, my life has uh, sorely been lacking in time to listen to music. I think it's one of the paradoxes of being a musician is that you spend a lot of time making music and therefore uh, you actually don't have that much time to listen to music or at least in my case but that's also because I'm I'm kind of weird in the sense that I I have real trouble um I, for, I mean I don't like listening to music without being fully attentive to it so uh 
if I'm cooking and, you know, maybe I switch on the, um, what do you call it? You know, the thing that uh, aspirate, uh, no, what do you call it? You know, when you're cooking and you're, uh, you need the steam to be absorbed by some kind of a machine on top of your uh, cooking stuff. What's that called? Oh, yeah, the, I don't. The uh, I don't know, some sort of filter. I yeah, know, I know what yeah, you, you know yeah, the one. Yeah. So that makes noise, and then I think, oh wow, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, paying enough attention to the music if that noise is going on at the same time. And then if I'm yeah, it's disrupting it. Yeah, or you know, if I'm talking with someone, I don't even want uh, background music. I'm I'm kind of weird like that. Uh, and for instance, if I'm writing any kind of email or something. Uh, I can't listen to music at the same time or I can put it in the background, but I'm, it's just not going to register. So, um, yeah, so actually I haven't really listened to Jamaican music in a while. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, one of my life's happy accidents was my parents buying a tape, uh, I suspect, on the side of a motorway, um, you know, those petrol stations where you had... Uh, uh, racks of t uh, cassettes, you know, um, in petrol stations in the 80s. And my parents um, are not really into music. They I, they don't have particularly good taste. <laughs> and uh, and uh, But somehow they got that tape, which was called Kings of Reggae. And it said Bob Marley. Uh, Bob Marley was the first person mentioned on the tape. But turns out the majority of the tracks were by Lee Perry or The Upsetters. And uh, it was uh, tracks from 1976 to 1979, so like the best period, in my opinion, of, of Lee Perry's output. And yes, there were things like roast fish and cornbread and curly dub and, uh, you know, some like, you know, some of his best and uh, weirdest tracks. So we did listen yeah. to that on car trips and I was very small because I, I was born in 76. I reckon they probably bought the tape in... 80 or something so i was pr I, and I, we listened to that tape for several years so uh i'm guessing you know i was from like five to seven or eight something like that so um obviously i wasn't conscious at the time of L who lee perry was but i do remember you know like the the, the cow the moo sound <laughs> that kind of stuff it of course it struck my imagination as a child so um yeah it's just a really really cool thing that uh, I got to listen to this as, as a child, yes. That's, do you feel like, I've been thinking about the way the music that we hear, especially when we're very, very young, it, it kind of gets into our heads in ways that I don't know that we'll ever, as people, be able to fully understand, because it's mm -hmm. sort of foundational. But, but do you suspect that in terms of some of the stuff you would have heard on that tape, you know, the sort of studio manipulation, the way things are stretched out, the way there are uncanny textures and echoes and all of that. Those are hallmarks of a lot of your music, too. Do you sort of suspect that maybe that was a a foundational influence for you, hearing that stuff as a, as a very young child? Well, it's kind of hard to answer, but I, I guess the answer is yes, because it happened. Yeah. It happened. And I think also I have to mention that then my... My next, um, I, th I think that if I, if I was, you know, if I were asked what, what is the song that, uh, is there a song that, that made you want to be a musician? 
um, I would say uh, the Beatles' A Day in the Life. Because I remember coming back with a, a vinyl lent by a friend of the uh, soundtrack to Imagine. So I was about 13 and I remember distinctly putting on the uh, record at midday in my parents' living room before lunch. And um, I wasn't familiar with the Beatles then. And that song coming on, like the uh, the beginning, the the acoustic uh, guitar chords, and I remember being stopped in my tracks. And I mean, and I can I can really see it. And then the uh, ending, and like just being hit so hard. And and whenever I listen to this song again, and I mean, and so much time has passed, I can completely understand why it happened. And um, yeah. So yes, I think there are foundational moments uh, and I think especially when you decide to make your own music and then you subsequently become a musician, I yes, I think there is um, there are a few pieces and, and I mean for me, so for me it's a, a day in the life. I don't know, it's like being struck on the head but in a good way, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to explain it with words. It's just, um, yeah. it's almost like a... Uh, I don't know if I should say li a religious experience, but um, it's something that stays with you forever. And it's basically about you feeling the power of music and uh, yeah, being transformed by it and just wanting to uh, reproduce, a, if only a fraction of that for yourself and for others through making music yourself, I guess. You, there's a quote that you said about about the new album, about the tunnel and the clearing, where you said, that never before had you mm. felt so profoundly the power that music has through harmony, melody, rhythm, and sound itself to express the whole range of, of human emotions. Yeah. Uh, at the risk of, of simplifying, you know, that almost religious quality of hearing something like the Beatles, I find it very moving that while you were working on this album, you know, you've been making music for, for a long time and... and you're very accomplished and you've made a lot of records. It's very inspiring me to hear, it's inspiring for me to hear that making this, there was still as, you know, yet another level yeah. on which to connect with music. <laughs> That's such an interesting thing. How did that strike you in, in the, as you were working on this album? Did it feel like, well, there's a song on, on, on the song, on the album called uh, Revelation. Mm. Uh, yeah. Did it? Did is that is that sort of how it felt? You know, truth reveal yourself to me. Uh, well, did it feel like a a revelation, a musical revelation? Uh, I think revelation. And when I was writing the lyrics, I was aware that it could be almost interpreted as a as a kind of religious thing, but it isn't. I think when I wrote the lyrics to revelation, it was more about um, trying to understand what had happened to me in sub in terms of that unexpected breakup. And thinking very much that we all cling to our own personal truth and wondering, there has to be a kind of universal objective truth, but obviously it's not accessible to me. And and I, I would like to have access to that because I, I need some explanation for what has happened, you know. So yeah. the, the, the revelation in question is not a, a musical revelation, but... Um, but uh, I was I was going to say something else uh, in relation to that quote. Um, yes, I think I think really the um, what I felt during the making of the album that was uh, 
that was pretty new to me, uh, or at least not necessarily new, but it, it doesn't happen that often as a musician that you you feel um, you feel moments that are uh, well. Again, it's true though that they are re revel revelatory to you in terms of what you're managing to express. Sometimes it almost feels like it's coming from another place and that it's handed to you even though I know that actually objectively that's not true because um, to <laughs> me no to me it always happens after hundreds of hours I mean I've never calculated how many hundreds of hours I spend on albums but it's I can't even calculate it because so much goes into the finished product uh, especially because I really make a point of only releasing music that I feel has um, something to say musically but also kind of a, like more like a more human content but one thing i have to say about uh this experience of um of a really hard breakup was uh it made me so much more receptive to music to the point that it was like really exaggerated so for instance in barcelona you have a lot of street musicians and several times i ended up uh, in tears um uh, you know hearing someone's you know cover version of a song that I didn't even know existed actually because I, I don't really follow you know uh, you know current hits or anything but I was um, I felt so receptive to um, to music and sometimes it felt like uh, too much but on the other hand I thought well you know uh, maybe maybe this is great for your music you know maybe you I mean it's bad that you're going through a, t a really tough period personally but maybe there's a maybe there's really something to be gained by it on many levels. And one of them is the artistic level. And I, to be honest, I think, um, I don't know. I think this is maybe the, the album that I'm happiest with. I, I don't like the word proud, but uh, definitely in, yeah. ter in terms of uh, uh, feeling a, a sense of intense satisfaction about the, uh, the musical element and the 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 human element behind it. I was reading a a 2006 interview from Arthur Magazine, which is one of my mm -hmm. favorites, and and in it you were discussing. Well, well, so I, I'm curious about the way you you write lyrics. You mentioned that there aren't a lot of lyrics on this, but there are very evocative words on this. In that 2006 article that I alluded to, you talked about how at that point you weren't really a fan of of, of writing lyrics or, or didn't really have much interest in it. But obviously that's changed over the course of your, your discography. What does your lyric writing process look like now? Is there a lot of editing and revising or how, how, does, it, how does it work for you generally? Well, I think uh, when I started to sing, uh, lyrics writing was the hardest thing that I that I had to solve. And I think on my first album where I sing called The Wing of the Heart, um, it was very tentative. Uh, it was very influenced by reading the, um, the poetry of others. So in that case, I read the uh, anthology of... Um, uh, Emily Dickinson's poetry, uh, Walt Whitman, haiku, um, that sort of stuff, and uh, and I think the um, a kind of like a very minimal haiku style uh, was the best that I could come up come up with at that point, and I remember distinctly uh, wanting to uh, write more personal lyrics, 
but somehow it was very hard to do. I, I'm not sure if it was just a question of uh, letting all this uh, writing process mature, but I wasn't really able to do it. I think also with writing personal stuff, there are always issues of um, how far do you go in terms of uh, respecting the lives of um, people who are part of your life. So, for instance, to talk about something uh, very personal, I've always thought that uh, at one point I would like to write something about my uh, my brother. So, uh, to cut a long story short, my brother committed suicide when he was 21. I was 18. Uh, so, that was in 1994. Uh, obviously, um, uh, it was an event that really marked the rest of my life, uh, the life of my parents. And I've always felt... You know, I want to write something about this, uh, but somehow I've I've never done it. And I, I suspect my main reason for not doing that is that my, my parents, luckily, are still, both of them are alive. And even though they don't speak English, and I guess I, you know, they, they don't, <laughs> they don't have the internet, so it's not even like, uh, but still, you know, I would be, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how I would feel about them maybe reading i don't know and in the same way my my 2017 album was influenced by being present on the uh, night of the terrorist attacks in in paris in 2015 but also my mum was very ill at that point and at the time of the press release uh, i didn't even mention that it was her that was ill because i i didn't even know if she was going to survive i mean she did but so i think in general it's kind of hard to um I don't know. I'm I'm very I'm very much of the uh, of the school that yes, I want my lyrics uh, to be personal, but also I I don't think it's cool to uh, I don't know. Like for instance, this is uh, this breakup. Uh, sorry, this album is very much about um, me going uh, through and over getting over that breakup, but uh, it never occurred to me to actually write directly about my ex partner. Um, because I think, I mean, I mean, and, and a lot of people do do it, and, I, and I'm not criticizing, but for me, um, I feel that uh, there is a limit that I can't uh, cross over. But so, therefore, the, the challenge become, becomes: how do I write personal personal lyrics without, uh, uh, you know, while staying true to to that to that limit that I do want to set myself? So uh, I think on this album, I'm I'm really happy too with how I I think I managed to articulate something which is more about how I felt you know instead of talking about the 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 actual details or the other person it's it's more about um so implosion explosion is completely about that feeling of you know I'm going nuts uh, <laughs> but but how, how how do I how do I express that how do I express my anger you know my my rage, so I express it through the music itself, and then through those simple lyrics. And hidden in the current, I have to say, when I uh, when I made that song, I I had tears in my eyes as the the, the lyrics came to me. Um, I don't know, like very quickly, all of a sudden, those lyrics came to me, and to me, they were really encapsulating the whole the the whole end of the the first process of uh going through that uh you know recovering from the breakup and then you know it's, it's like basically literally one day you wake up and you realize that that's it i mean you're you're on your own and uh 
you know, no amount of uh, anger or trying to understand is going to change that. And um, and and then the uh, the the hidden in the current part initially, when I had that image in my mind, at first I was thinking more about how maybe someone leaving you has been hidden somehow in the current of your lives and you haven't been able to see it. But then as as um, the song evolved, it came to mean something else. It was also about how starting a new life and feeling almost reborn is also hidden in the current. I mean, there is no way you could know that going through a breakup is actually going to be a good thing for you. And funnily enough, so without uh, entering personal details, I think, um, you know, I, I could never have uh, predicted it, but this uh, this experience and also uh, being ill, uh, it's all enabled me to, uh, uh, I, I don't like the word grow because it sounds like so much like a psychological magazine <laughs> bullshit somehow. But but for me, it really, but it really has been the case. I've really had to step out of the uh, personal bubble I was in. And uh, when I was ill, I also uh, gained so much understanding about people who have other chronic health problems and the elderly. I So in a way, the... Um, hidden in the current uh, where all things grow even on their own. That was my my way of um, articulating that, that there is so much stuff that we that we don't know about and that is there, you know, waiting to come up to, to the surface. So, um, so yes, that was my long-winded way of answering your question. No, I love it. I think that that's such a beautiful way to think about it in such a honest way is that we we can't know what's happening sometimes when it's happening because we're overtaken by it you know there's mm-hmm. too much at, at at once and 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 yeah the process of making sense of all that and making art out of all that it's like a very complicated thing but it sounds like there was it, it you know it, it almost would you say that making this album you know how has it changed the way you think about the emotional connection for that you personally have to the artistic process uh, oh that, that's kind of hard to answer uh can you repeat the question it's probably strangely phrased but i think what i what i mean to say is have you have you ever had an album that was quite so emotionally connected i mean it sounds like you're talking about it in terms of the the terrorist attack and 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 dealing with your mother that this is certainly not the first time um that you've that you've had difficult circumstances and that the music has 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 been emotional mm. but i wonder if yeah. perhaps this is the most emotional that the music has been for you yeah well i actually captain of none as well uh i didn't really talk about it at the time but i went through a kind of a midlife crisis <laughs> uh and and uh, so for instance the song captain of none is about that is about uh, feeling like you're losing control of your ability to think straight uh so um and several songs on captain of none are, are very personal but in a kind of covert covert way i'm not sure how to pronounce this uh but definitely so yes a flame my love of frequency that was getting uh much more personal uh, also because i was um 
kind of obsessed with a, a fear of death uh, during the making of that album. Sure. Um, and I think the lyrics the lyrics reflect that. But for sure, I mean this this new album. Uh, I guess also I think the in a very basic way. Uh, I mean I had I was with my partner, but my ex partner from 2004 to last year and basically he was with me uh, throughout the making of all of my albums except the first album so i <laughs> this may i don't i don't know if um i don't know if this sounds strange but uh it was actually it felt very new to me to be on my own and to just have the music to i mean i do have my friends and i do have my parents and i feel very supported by them but in a way i think maybe music became like a a personal friend that I started to have a dialogue with, uh, if, if that makes sense. And so in that way, it became much more intense, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very, very interesting. And that, that music felt that you, I mean, you also thank your cats in the liner notes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so you, you had them too, right? Yeah, and actually, my my cat Sol, the the big red one, he's actually uh, asleep just uh, next to me. I mean, he's on he's on the studio table, uh, sleeping on some scores, uh, and I'm glad he's uh, not noisy because <laughs> he can be very noisy. Yeah. Um, so, your, so your Skype image is him uh, or or the uh, l- sleeping uh, oh, on on a... the top of this sp- <laughs> on the Space Echo. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. What a beautiful image. Um, <laughs> Well, you you referenced um, you referenced your first album, "Everyone Alive Wants Answers," and and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't if I didn't ask you to reflect a little on that one because that's such an incredible album, and it's uh, oh, it's, thank you. It's a record where you know lots of music is made using samples, um, but that does feel like its own like its own thing on 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 that record and. That was released in in two thousand three. I, I I wanted to ask if, upon finishing it or or putting it out into the world, was that really? I mean, did you feel like a songwriter? Is what I is what I would like to ask about that because obviously you're assembling previously recorded material, but it it doesn't feel. It feels you know, like there is a compositional element as well. So. I'm just curious if you would have used the term songwriter back then to describe what you were doing on that album and if you, mm. you know, or or how you would describe it now, I guess. Mm. Well, it's funny because I also, I think I wouldn't use the word songwriter for myself right now, even though I, I, I do think I make songs, but I, or it would be like weird songwriter. Uh, I usually, <laughs> li- y- y- the word that I like is music maker. Because I think music maker really encompasses everything. It's like composing, improvising, recording, uh, you know, being adept on instruments and gear. Uh, so I think it, music making, it really encapsulates uh, everything that I do. Um, so that album, I, I really have a soft spot for it. Uh, I had no clue at the time that it would, um, well, I guess, uh, stand the test of time. And I do regret very much that um, the uh, the issue of hearing samples uh, was not raised by uh, by Leaf, the label that released the the album then. Yeah. 
because uh, now I, I mean for, for quite some f some years I've been feeling stressed out about you know that issue of sample clearance um, I do think that for most of the samples used I was uh, I really transformed them but uh, it's kind of shocking to me now that I think on the on the on the uh, liner notes I wrote um, everything written by Cecile Schott or something like that and I think well actually mm, not really so I think my uh, I think I was very naive I was very sincere in my use of the music but um, in retrospect I think uh, sampling raises a ton of questions some of them purely legal others more artist artistic so uh, I, I'm very glad that I only made one album that you sampled, because uh, in a way, like you really do sort out your uh, so many potential problems by uh, being responsible for uh, you know all your sound sources. But which is not to say, by the way, that I don't like making music. Uh, that sorry, that I don't like music made with samples. I'm a, I, I listen uh, certainly at the time I listened to a lot of hip hop. And uh, you know, hip hop wouldn't be what it is without uh, sampling. Of course, but um. Yeah. So, so no. I mean, I think I, I really had no clue that I would uh, also end up, you know, being a professional musician. That was so out of, uh, yeah, yeah, um, impossible to impossible to know at the time. Well, it also helps that you made one album album out of samples, and it's a masterpiece. And then you've gone on to make a bunch of <laughs> incredible records using just your your <laughs> own you. sound so so you don't even have to make any more sample albums because you you made the the one you know uh oh thank you <laughs> but that's a beautiful record and i think that it helps um expand the idea of of, of what sort of the sampler artist relationship can be like and, and i respect that you've made the decision to more or less move into a completely different mode, you know, over the course of your career. But mm. I think that there's still a lot of the same interest in the relationship between harmony and melody and rhythm that you hear on this new record that you can trace back to that. So it's a, uh, mm. it's really been uh, wonderful talking about this new record with you. It's oh. it's such a great album, and I appreciate your candor and your your openness about it. Thank you. well, thank you so much for the. Interesting questions, and I have to say that for me, it's uh, it's very moving to talk about it, and I feel super privileged <laughs> to have, you know, uh, not only just listeners, like casual listeners, but also very attentive listeners and people who've been like following my work and who can see like spot the differences and the evolution, and uh, it feels like a I don't know, like very special to put it out in the world and feel like maybe also I'm like closing a, a personal process and like, you know, being about able, um, being about to embark maybe on a, you know, another, uh, another part of the, another chapter of the story. And I'm uh, like super grateful for, uh, you know, the interest and, and your kindness as well. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. And I can't wait to hear where things go next. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Wake 
That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, go leave a rating, uh, leave a review, post about the show on Twitter, post about it on your Instagram. Let folks know that we're making a cool project here. We appreciate you doing so and spreading the word. Uh, Aquarium Drunkard has been doing things mostly by word of mouth, truly, since uh, 2005. Only the good shit that long. So as we enter our 16th year, uh, it's great that people are hopping on board with the podcast in addition to Justin's weekly show on Sirius and all that. We we really do appreciate it. And uh, we're going to be ramping up the, uh, the Patreon content. I'm going to be checking in a lot more frequently there. So head over to the Patreon and check it out if uh, if you are interested in what we're doing and you're interested in some bonus bonus Aquarium Drunkard stuff. Anyway, thanks so much for, for tuning in. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls create visuals for the show. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with a singer-songwriter named John Grant. Check out uh, check out Boy from Michigan. Check out this album cover. It's one of my favorite album covers of the year. I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that, and next week we'll get into it a lot further. Thank you.